Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. Welcome to Seacoast. Um, this is uh, Seacoast version of March Madness, uh, where the underdogs always win and Jesus is the returning champion. How about that? Does that make sense? <clears throat> I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from another campus or uh, somewhere here on the Long Point campus or maybe uh, on the internet. We're glad that you guys are along too. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question. How, how many of you, uh, there is, or I, I guess I'll put it this way. Uh, wh- what is there about you that nobody else knows? Okay, think about that. You, you ever been to a party, they say, what's the one thing, you know, kind of a mixer, what's the one thing that nobody knows about you, and you kind of think something up, and it's usually pretty kind of, you know, it's kind of surfacey, but, you know, you've got something, you know, you were born in some weird place like Oklahoma like I was or whatever, you know, but what, what, what is, and it just insulted all the Sooners, just right there, just right off the start. What, what, uh, what's one thing that nobody knows about you? It could be big, okay, could be small, could be, you know, something really good, but you just haven't shared it, or could be something not as good. And the second question I would ask is, why, why do people not know this? Even the people that are close to you, why do they not know? What, what's something nobody knows, and, and why don't they know? Uh, you know, I was, uh, uh, anybody ever heard of Mamaru Samaragachi? I was going to try to pronounce that without looking at my notes. Mamaru Samaragachi. Anybody know who that is? Let, 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 me, let me kind of fill you in on that. Does anybody care? Okay. <laughs> Uh, Mamaru Samaragachi began playing the piano at age four. Uh, he had mastered Bach and Beethoven, uh, at least some pieces by them, by age 10. Became a popular composer, but gradually he began losing his hearing. And he was soon completely deaf, but continued to compose. He described his deafness actually uh, as a gift from God. And he said, um, I listen to myself. If you trust your inner sense of sound, you create something that's truer. It's like communicating from the heart. He became known as Japan's Beethoven. In fact, he became a nationally celebrated composer whose work appeared on uh, popular video games. And also one of the um, uh, ice skaters from the Japanese Olympic team used uh, one of his compositions, extremely popular, Symphony No. 1, Hiroshima, when they skated it in, uh, in Russia recently. Uh, His celebrity profile was raised when he met with survivors of the terrible 2011 tsunami. It's an incredible story, isn't it? The thing is, almost none of it is true. Um, er, Early last month, a man came forward claiming that Samaragachi had been paying him to write all of his pieces for the last 18 years. Uh, Even more incredibly, the man said that, uh, as far as he could tell, uh, Samaragachi wasn't deaf, and could barely play the piano, much less compose. And so as you can imagine, his story unraveled from there, became very embarrassing. Public confession, uh, apology, all of that kind of thing. And bottom line, he was hiding who he really was for a variety of reasons. Now, his were for monetary reasons. He was hiding. He was hiding. We're in a series right now. In fact, this is the last message of it. I kind of hate to see it go. I've really enjoyed uh, the book of Esther. I don't know about you, but... Uh, we call it Messy Faith, Finding Your Story in Esther. 
And I know at various points along the way, I found my story. You know, you go, wow, that sounds like something I deal with. And um, in, in this story, hiding is one of the central themes. <laughs> you look through the book, and it's all this intrigue, and this, this one's hiding this one from this one. You know, Esther's hiding her identification that she's Jewish. Haman hides uh, his true intent from King Xerxes because he's afraid that he won't approve, you know, the plot that he wants. We'll go into that in a minute. Uh, even God is hid, hidden from view. You know, God's not even mentioned in the book. And, and uh, at times you see evidence of him, at other times you wonder, well, where, where is God and all of that? It's kind of like our life, to, to be honest with you. So what I want to do, since this is the last week, uh, I just go, and also, we've only gotten through uh, Esther chapter 4, and there's what, about eight or nine chapters in the book, so I've got to do all the rest of them. So I'm going to do them right now. I'm going to tell the story, okay? Tell the story uh, of what happened. If you've been tracking along, you kind of track along, and, and if you're new, you'll kind of get an, get an update here. Uh, so, so Esther starts uh, with kind of a perverted king. And what was his name? You guys are good. I love this. Because the first week we did this, I don't know. I don't have any idea. Xerxes, okay? And so Xerxes, Xerxes the book opens with Xerxes throwing this six-month party. Uh, it's, it's kind of like an like a open bar, no cover charge. And uh, you, you ought to see right away that's not going to end well. And it doesn't. He and some of his buddies get extremely drunk. They come up with this idea that his queen, and what was the name of the queen? Vashti or Vashti. Um, yeah, that, that she, that their, their great idea is that, is that she would uh, uh, dance naked before them. Uh, amazingly enough, she didn't think it was a good idea. And when she said no, it caused a national crisis. Because all of his buddies said, if you don't deal with her saying no to you, all of our wives will be able to say no to, you know, all of our wonderful ideas. And so what the king did is he put her away. We don't know where he killed her or just uh, uh, put her out of the country, whatever, but she's gone, which seemed like a good idea until he got lonely. And he kind of missed her, and so uh, another one of his guys said, hey, let's do this. Let's have a beauty contest. Let's, we call it the Persian Bachelor, where that we take all the beautiful women, you know, that we can find in the country, and we'll kind of have this elimination process, and we'll find you a, a queen. And ultimately, a little Jewish girl named Hadassah, who really uh, was orphaned, really didn't have much, uh, changed her name to Esther. Somehow, uh, she ends up being the queen of the most powerful country uh, in the nation, Queen, queen Esther. Now, uh, the next person we meet uh, is, uh, is Mordecai, who is her, what? Cousin. Mordecai's her cousin. And he actually raised her. Uh, he's kind of a surrogate father. And he's kind of a kind of a stubborn dude, you know, and there's a guy named Haman who uh, is a, um, well, he's a joker, and he really thinks a lot of himself, and um, Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman, uh, Haman thinks that he should just because he's a Jew, and oh, by the way, uh, Esther's hiding her Jewishness uh, because uh, Mordecai says it's probably not a good idea to let everybody know that. And, but he refuses to bow down to this guy, which ticks this guy off. And so Haman uh, get, hatches this plot where he's going to kill all of the Jews, not just Mordecai. He's going to kill them all uh, b- because Mordecai won't bow down to him. And so Mordecai comes to his cousin Esther, 
And he says, you know what, you need to go in and you need to talk to the king. You've got some pull with the king. Esther says, whoa, buddy, this, it might be easy for you to say that, but it could be death for me because the rule is, unless the king calls you in, um, uh, into, his, you know, in, into where he is, unless he calls you in, uh, you, you could be killed. And he hasn't called me in for about 30 days. And you remember that Mordecai gives the famous statement, hey, Esther, could it be that you were born for what? Such a time as this. If you will step up, God will what? Step in. Step in. Okay. You remember. All right, good. And so, and so she says, okay, I'll do that. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to fast and pray. And she gets a prayer team to fast and pray for her. And on the third day, she goes into the king and, wow, the king is happy to see her. And a lot of times the things that we fear don't come to pass. Would you agree with that? And so she goes into the king, and the king says, Hey, baby, I'm seeing you for a while. It's good to see you. Something like that. Kind of like that. And then he says, uh, he says, What do you want? What do you want? Anything. He says, In fact, ask me for anything even up to half the kingdom. Do you think he really meant that? No. It's just guys say stupid stuff when they're in the presence of beautiful women. And they don't know what to say. And so, and so he says, you know, what, what do you want? And she says, here's what I want. I don't want to have the kingdom. She says, I would like to cook dinner for you. And I would like for you to bring your buddy Haman to dinner. He says, I'll do that. She said, then I'll tell you what I want. So um, it's a good principle. Cook first and then talk. And so, and so anyway, he, uh, he, these two come to dinner. And at dinner, he asked her again, hey, what do you want? She says, you know what? I'd love for you to come tomorrow night. I don't know that I did my best on this one. I can do better. Let's have a, let's do, let's do low country boil, kind of a barbecue kind of a deal. And you guys come tomorrow night, and, and I'll let you know what we're going to, what I want. And he said, well, that sounds like a great idea. Haman, can you come? Haman says, sure, I can come. So then Haman goes home that day, and he tells his wife and his buddies what a great guy he is. You can, you can read it. He talks about how wonderful he is that the queen has invited him to come to dinner with the king. The only problem, his life's wonderful, but on the way home, he sees Mordecai again, and Mordecai refuses to bow to him. Makes him mad. Goes home, tells his wife, it just ruined my day. So his wife says, well, why don't you just hang him? You know, just tomorrow before, let's, let's build some gallows, and tomorrow before the party, just hang him. That way you'll have a nice party. And you won't have to worry about him. And, you know, he goes, well, how can we build gallows that quickly? And she said, just go to gallows.com. They've got people that will do it. <laughs> she might not have said that, but I was thinking, how'd they get it built so fast? They probably had a bunch of people do it. So he says, that's great. What I'll do is I'll go into the king tomorrow morning before, early, and I'll, I got to get permission to hang Mordecai, but that shouldn't be a problem. Meanwhile, back at the palace, the king's getting ready to go to bed. And he has a severe case of insomnia. He can't sleep. There are no John Grisham novels to read to kind of put him, lull him to sleep. And so he calls in the, the chief chronicler who has written a book called The Chronicles of Noble Deeds. And what this is, is this is every time somebody does something noble and good, they write it in the book. So they've got a historical record of that. And so the king says, well, why don't you read that to me? And apparently it's a pretty long book, and he reads most of the night. And he comes to a section about Mordecai. And it's just a small thing. In fact, we kind of skipped over it. It's in chapter 2. It's three verses at the end of chapter 2 when Mordecai uh, hears about a plot by some of this guy's guards 
uh, to overthrow him. And rather than just keeping it secret, he tells, gets the word back to the king on what happened. And so the chronicle is reading that back to the king, and the king doesn't even remember it. And the king goes, did we ever do anything to reward Mordecai for this wonderful act? Chronicle says, no, I, I don't think we did. He says, well, we need to do something. Um, and at about that time, amazingly, Haman walks in to make his request to hang Mordecai. That's where we're going to read from the scriptures, okay? Let's see what happens. And it's a good story. I love it. <laughs> Do you love it? <laughs> I need a little help here, all right? I, I love this. I love this. Okay, here we go. So Haman came in. This is uh, Esther chapter 6 on your outline sheet. So Haman came in, and the king said, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? Because it's always about him. Okay, he's a narcissist, the original. It's always about him. uh, So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes as well as a horse that the king has ridden and uh, uh, with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that that man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the official shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Okay, you got the scenario? He thinks, king wants to honor me. So the king says, great idea, Haman. I want you to do that for Mordecai. Have you know this was a bad day for Haman? And so next, next scene, we've got Haman walking around the city. Just get the picture. Leading the king's horse. Mordecai's sitting on there with his you know, robe, crown, and all this kind of stuff. And he's yelling out, this is what the king does to people who honor him. You know? And he's just depressed out of his mind. Well, it's going to get worse. Because then they go to dinner. Okay? They go to dinner. And the king and uh, Haman are at Queen Esther's. And Queen Esther reveals that Haman has plotted against the Jews. And so the king doesn't know what to do, and so he goes outside to think about it, comes back in, and Haman has, well, he's almost attacked Esther. He's begging her for forgiveness, and it looks to the king like he's, uh, he's hitting on her. And so the king immediately says, here's what I'm going to do. You're going to lose your life today. You are going to be hung on the gallows that you built today for Mordecai. And so Haman is hung on the gallows. Mordecai is promoted to the number two man in the, this is complicated, to the number two guy in the whole kingdom. He uh, issues another law, overcomes the plot. The Jews are saved. Queen Esther is the hero forever. And they have a Jewish holiday after her, her named Purim. And uh, they all lived ha- happily ever after, and that's the end of the story. How about that? How about that? Okay, good. All right, good. That was a strong round of applause, and I appreciate that. The whole story is just fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it's got all these twists and turns and intrigue and deception. I mean, you've got hiding Esther, hiding her, you know, who she is, and Haman, and just all this stuff going on. 
And, uh, and, and I, thought, I thought, you know what? That sounds kind of like the life that we live, hiding. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to play hide-and-go-seek with God? Like that thing that I was talking to you about earlier, that we hide from, sometimes we try to hide it from God. Well, what I want to do is I want, I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about, about hiding and about how we hide and, and how you can actually kind of quit hiding and come out into the light. So let me give you just some truths that I saw as I was reading the story. Things to remember when playing hide-and-go-seek hide with God. Uh, number one, the natural tendency of the human heart is to hide. Would you agree with that? I mean, that's a natural tendency. Uh, if you want things to get really awkward in a relationship, get too transparent too soon. Would you agree with that? Somebody in the foyer asks you, how are you doing today? And you go, tell them how you're really doing. And they're, they're going, I really didn't want to know that. They, w- they won't tell you that, but you can see it. And there are somebody at small group, you know, we're just having a little testimony time. And, they, and they, it's the first time at the group, and they just kind of open up. And it's like, whoa, what was that? Have you ever done that? I've done it before. I've done it before. It went, whoa, I got way too, because I, I tend to be a little bit more transparent. I, I, we all hide stuff. But if you get too transparent too soon, it gets really, really awkward because we, we try to, the natural tendency of the human heart is to hide. We've always tried to hide from God and from each other. We try to convince those around us that our lives are better than they, they really are. One of the benefits or appeals of Facebook is that we can lead designer lives we choose what other people see about our lives. We can hide all the ugly things. We don't do the ugly pictures. It's only the ones with the best image and all that kind of thing. And, you know, we try to keep up with the Joneses. We all want to keep up with the Joneses, but we forget that the Joneses are liars too. They're not transparent. They're putting their best stuff out there, and it's just this, this vicious kind of circle. The desire to hide was one of the consequences of the very first sin. You look in the Bible at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, creation is going great. In fact, Genesis 2 ends with these words. Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Everything's cool. You know, there's just two, three people, you know, Adam and Eve and God, and and, uh, he created them to be transparent. It's what the naked means. It's just transparent with each other and with God. and, And it was cool. It was great. And then in Genesis 3 is the story of their sin. And their relationship with God and ultimately their relationship with one another becomes strained. In Genesis 3 and verse 8, it says, When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. And so I hid. First time he's hid, hidden from God. Sin does that. First time he's hidden from God. There's distance. He said, I was afraid because I was naked. And God says, who told you that you were naked? I mean, what, what changed from just a little, little while ago? Who, who told you that? Well, the enemy told them. The enemy lied to them, lied to Adam and Eve, and has been lying to us ever since. And we believe his lies. We act on his lies. We lose our innocence, and we begin to hide so I was thinking about, why, why do people hide? I was just thinking about people I know, thinking about myself. Why do we hide? Thinking about people in the story. I, I came up with about three, three really kind of uh, key reasons or, or uh, motivations for people to hide. Some people hide because we don't feel good about what we've done. That's our past. We don't feel good about what we've done. We, you know, <laughs> I can remember, uh, I, uh, 
I kind of, our, our first church was in Freeport, Illinois, and I was learning to preach, and I wasn't very good. Sometimes I'm not very good now, but I really wasn't very good then. Some, sometimes people will come up to me after church and say, boy, that was a home run, and really all I'm hoping for is a bunt single. You know, I just want to get on base, and back then it was like, you know, he just walked me. Get me on base somehow, you know, baseball analogy, baseball season starting, just put up with it. And I... <laughs> I can remember in Freeport, it, it was pretty bad at times. And uh, I'd go, because I thought that's what pastors did, I'd go stand at the front door and shake hands with everybody as they left. And I can remember one Sunday, this, this farmer, just real honest farmer, comes up to me and shakes my hand. He says, you know, I really like you, pastor. Preacher, I think he called me. Preacher, I think I really, he said, I really like you. But today, for the life of me, I have no clue what you were trying to say. Have you know, that'll bless you just before you go to lunch, okay? It's like, I have no clue. And here was the truth. I didn't have a clue what I was trying to say either. I was trying to use big words and big, to impress people and big concepts and all this, and I just got lost, and it happened very regularly. Well, uh, somebody last night said, you know what? Uh, You really appeal to to my level of thinking. I don't know what they were saying, but then I explained to them that uh, since I quit using the big words, I appeal to about a sixth-grade level, and so that may say something about you being here, but, but that's when I quit shaking hands at the door, you know, because that just is depressing when that stuff happens. And so here's what I would do. Here's what I would do in Illinois. Here's what I do. Serious. We had this, this pulpit, you know, the old school pulpit. You've seen the ones, you know, they're kind of, kind of like this, whatever, the microphone that comes out like this. And I'd give the benediction or whatever if we did a benediction or say, God bless you, you're dismissed. And if I felt like I didn't do good, I would bow down behind the pulpit like this and kind of rustle around with stuff in here, acting like I was looking for something important until everybody left. So I wouldn't have to talk to anybody. I was hiding. It's hard to do these days. Sometimes we hide, though. It's, it's worse than a poor performance. We hide because we've done something. How do you know if you've got kids, when you can't find them, there's a problem? Okay? When it's quiet. Oh, I'd love it to be quiet in the house. When it's too quiet, how do you know there's a problem? Or when one of the kids comes out like Sadie did, one of our little twin crumb crunchers the other day. She comes walking out. She sees me. She's got a hand behind her back. And then she starts walking like this. <laughs> there's a problem. Somebody is hiding something. So if you ever hid the evidence of something you've done, you hid the receipt so that your spouse wouldn't see it, or even we hide from God. You know, the, 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 the problem is this, is that, um, you know, you, you know re, uh, rather than dealing with it, get out in the open, you hide hoping nobody will ever find out. And the problem is people don't have to find out for it to mess up your life. Because the energy... Of, of hiding stuff will wear you out. It distances relationships. In fact, uh, I used to do a lot of counseling here until we all figured out I'm not very good at it. And now we have people who are good at it that help with the counseling. But I can remember sometimes in marriage counseling, we'd get stuck, really, really stuck, and we could not get past a certain point. What I discovered is that most of the time somebody was hiding something. Somebody was hiding something, and so we were stuck, and there was distance, and we, it was frustrating, frustrating, frustrating. See, and then the, the accuser tries to convince us that what we've done is who we are. You are this because you've done it. So there's this vicious cycle of, of hiding so we'll feel better, and then we feel bad because the accuser's accusing us 
So we hide because we don't feel good about what we've done. That's not the only reason people hide, though. Some people hide because they don't feel good about who they are. They don't feel good about who they are. Esther hides her Jewishness. I'm not sure it's because she didn't feel good about who she was. It was because that if she revealed it, um, it, it, would, uh, it would do bad things because she was a minority and all, all this type of thing. But we, we tend to do that with revealing our identity. We do the same thing. We pretend we're somebody that we're not so that people will like us. Sometimes we hide our physical appearance because we don't feel good about who we are. Or we hide our true feelings because we know we shouldn't feel that way. And what are other people going to think if they knew how I felt? Or we hide because we don't feel good about what we've done in our past, you know. We hide because we don't feel good about who we are in our present. And sometimes we hide because we don't feel good about what we're going to do. And that's Haman. Haman had this, had this, where did Haman go? He died. He was on a gallows. Haman hid his true intentions from the king. Why? Because down deep inside he knew the king wouldn't approve of it. And he wanted to do it. But he knew the king wouldn't approve of it. Uh, and I've seen a lot of people get in trouble that way. Make poor choices because they make them in a bubble. They make them in a vacuum. They don't bring in wise counsel of friends or parents, family, uh, uh, you know, church small group or whatever because they're afraid that, that somebody won't approve of what they're doing and they'll, they'll rain on their parade. And so they, they won't tell anybody what they're thinking about doing, who they're thinking about dating, where they're thinking about moving, what they're thinking about purchasing, you know, just all kinds of things. Because they, they feel like if, if they tell the truth, their parents or friends or church won't approve. And they hide. And here's the problem. Proverbs 13 and verse 10 says, Pride only leads to arguments, but those who take advice are wise. Take advice are wise. And ultimately, we don't trust God. We think that if we ask God for something good, he's going to give us something bad. And so we've got to kind of control the situation so we hide our decisions. Natural tendency of the human heart is to hide. Here's the second truth about playing hide-and-go-seek with God is that God is not limited in his ability to reveal the truth. God is not limited in his ability to reveal the truth. You can run, but you really can't hide. In the Old Testament... In this particular instance that I'm going to give you, uh, it's kind of a pattern of how God worked. God gave Israel a command. He said, I want you to do this. Not important what he's asking them to do because this happens a lot of times. This just happens to be a specific that I want to use. But he says, I want you to do something. And then he said, your obedience will be blessed. It's kind of like, you know, in the, with, with the whole law thing. He said, if you keep the commands of the law, you'll be blessed going in, coming out, and in the fields, and in the city and all this kind of thing. There are blessings, there are rewards, carrots for obedience. But he knows that if they didn't obey, they'd probably try to hide it. And so he says this in Numbers 32, 23. He says, if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. He said, you, you can hide it, but you're sinning against the Lord. And you can be confident of this, your sin We'll find you out. I hated that verse as a kid. My mom used it all the time. Mom said, you know, you, you do something, I may not find out, but your sin will find you out. You will pay for it. I hated that until I got older and got kids. Then I thought it was a great verse. Great verse. We raised four kids, four teenagers at one time. Try that on. Four teenagers at one time. 
And uh, I can remember that occasionally one of our kids would test the, the, the edges of boundaries. I'm not going to mention any names. Don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Initials are Josh. <laughs> Kid tested every boundary we ever put out there. And what was great is uh, when he would test a boundary, he'd do something, you know, that he wasn't supposed to do. Um, I, would, I would usually either pick him up from school when I found out about it, or that night before we'd go to bed, I'd have a talk with him. And he was, he was just amazed. I'd, I'd say, uh, I'd say uh, Joshua, uh, what'd you do with the cigarettes you bought today? <laughs> I didn't buy any cigarettes. Yeah, he did. You bought them at, Wall, uh, or, I mean, at uh, Waffle House right across the street. How did you know that? God revealed it to me. <laughs> I'm a preacher. God reveals stuff. You know? When actually the truth was, that as the church grew, uh, we had a growing number of snitches that were able to help me uh, a growing network. We helped each other out. But God is not limited in his ability to reveal truth. Jesus said in John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will what? It will set you free. How do you know that God wants you to live in freedom? Jesus wants you to know the truth and live in freedom. How do you also know that the truth will set you free but it will make you miserable first usually? Okay. Because you're in denial and you're hiding and all this kind of thing will we'll, we'll set you free. Well, what are some of God's options to reveal truth? Well, he can reveal truth through his word. Have you ever been hiding something from God? And either at church there's a scripture read or you're reading a scripture and it comes right out and it penetrates the issue. God can reveal it through his word. God can reveal it through a word of knowledge. In the Old Testament, David sinned big time. He uh, committed adultery, and then he, in hiding it, he had a woman's husband killed. That's big time stuff. And he thought he had it covered. And here comes a prophet named Nathan, and he says, David, and he tells him a story, and David gets all upset about the story. And then the prophet said, you know what? You are the villain in the story. How could he have known that? God revealed the truth to him. Now, David repented, and because he repented so thoroughly, Uh, He became known in the New Testament as a man after God's own heart, which gives all of us hope, all of us hope, but a word of knowledge. God can still do that today. Um, Another way God can reveal truth is through a prophetic friend. Let me give you an example of this. A few years ago, a very uh, famous pastor, Ted Haggard, uh, fell into moral sin. And several of my friends were very close to him. Uh, One of them was a youth pastor for him. Others were friends, had been in church with him or whatever. Never saw it coming. And so uh, about 10 of us decided we're going to get together in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, that's a one-stop flight. We had another thing we had to go to. We're going to go there. We're going to take some time to discuss ourselves. How can we avoid this kind of thing? I mean, it's just devastating. Let's pro- process it and talk about it. And so one of the guys suggested uh, we've got to become more accountable for one another. If Ted was more accountable, then this, this wouldn't have happened. We all agreed that's true. That's good. And then one of us yours truly, your pastor, said we need a little bit more than accountability. I said, I don't know about you guys. I need prophetic friends because here's the truth. I'll hide. I know my heart. I'll cover because that's the tendency of humans. I don't like being that way, but if, it's, but if the heat is too big, uh, I'm afraid I, would, I'm, I, might, I might not tell you the truth. And so I need people who will look prophetically into my life and who will, who will see... Look for pride because pride is the first thing. Just, uh, pride goes before what? A fall. 
and destruction. And when you begin to see pride in somebody's life, you can, you, you, I'll guarantee you that behind the pride is something that they're hiding. And oftentimes, it's the very thing that they're coming against, okay? And so I said, you guys, I need you prophetically to look into my life. And that's one of the reasons that whenever I talk to pastors, I say every pastor, and I, I would say every church member, needs to sit at a table somewhere w- with people who love you but are not impressed with you, okay? That can, that can look prophetically into, if you're serious about, about walking in freedom and walking in life, you've got to have people who are going to look beyond the surface, um, so prophetic friends, word of knowledge, his word. Messy circumstances God can use to reveal truth. Jonah, remember him, tried to run, but God messed up his circumstances. And for some of you, you're in messy circumstances right now that God has messed up because he doesn't want you hiding. I'm not saying all messy circumstances are that way, but sometimes they are. And you know it, that there are things that are messed up right now, and God has messed them up so that you can come free. Sleepless nights, God reveals. God gave the king insomnia, which led to a revelation of the truth. Here's a question that people have. I just need to put this in right now. So you're saying, okay, be sure your sins will find you out. From my point of view, okay, I get that. But somebody has wronged me, and they're hiding about it. Somebody has done an incredible thing in our family or whatever, and they're hiding. And it doesn't seem like their sin is finding them out. What do you do? They're getting away with it. Romans 12 and verse 19 God says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You can be sure that God will repay. He will, sometimes the way that he brings people to repentance is not the way that you would, but God has all kinds of tools to do it. We need to leave it to God. Our natural tendency is to hide. God's not limited in his options to reveal truth. Here's the good news. Because of the gospel, we don't have to hide anymore. Because of the gospel, we don't have to hide anymore. Do you remember playing hide-and-go-seek as a kid? Remember doing that? You know, someone would be assigned the task of the seeker. Everybody else hides. What you don't want to do is, be, uh, is to be found first, right? Because, you know, that's, that's no fun. You're the first one that's found. Let me tell you something else, what I discovered. I didn't want to be the last one found either. Even, even though that person is declared to win the game, you're out of the game for too long. If your hiding place is so good, I can remember sabotaging, making a little bit of noise because I heard everybody playing and having fun and I'm in here and it's lonely in this box by myself. (laughs) Hiding can be exhausting. About four years ago, Jesse James, owner of West Coast Chopper, he's a reality TV star, admitted to cheating on his wife, Sandra Bullock, you know, the the blindside lady. And uh, he went on Nightline, which I don't think is a wise thing to do when you do that, He went on Nightline, and uh, he admitted that he actually wanted to be caught because the weight of guilt was too much to carry. He's not the first one that's ever admitted that. Remember David? We talked about David Bathsheba. He records it in Psalm 32, real time. This is a real-time recording of what was going on in his life. David said, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience has been forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And then here he goes. When I refused to confess my sin, when I was hiding, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was on me, heavy. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Have you ever felt like that? He said, finally, I confessed all of my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. 
I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. This is what's amazing. This next little phrase is amazing to me. It says, and you forgave me. That's not amazing because God is committed to forgiving you. I don't believe we have to ask God to forgive us of our sin. He said, I will. If you confess my sin, your sin, I will be faithful and just to forgive you. Even when I'm unfaithful, God is faithful and committed to his word. Okay. What's amazing is this next part. David says, all my guilt is gone. A guy who committed adultery, a guy who committed murder, could actually look himself in the face or look himself in the mirror? Yeah. He received forgiveness from God. I think about the woman caught in adultery uh, uh, in the New Testament scenario. Worst nightmare. She's brought to Jesus. Jesus basically looks at the guys who brought her. All these guys want to stone her. And basically he says something like this. Let the first guy who's not hiding something throw the first stone. Nobody threw any of them. And they walked away. Jesus looked at her. He said, where are your accusers? He said, I don't know. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Because of the gospel, we don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to hide our identity. Remember, some people hide because they don't feel good about who they are. It's not about past sin. It's about who they are. I love Colossians 3 and verse 1. It says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ. This is you who are in Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits at the uh, right hand of, of honor at God's right hand. Think about things of heaven, not of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. There's where you hide. You are hidden with Christ in God. You, you know, the, because of the gospel, I'm no longer defined by my greatest strength or by my greatest weakness. I'm not defined by my marital status or my racial makeup or a hurt habit or hang up. My life is hidden in Christ. I am a child of the most high God. I am blessed and highly favored. I am recreated in Christ Jesus to do great work that's been planned in advance for me. It doesn't matter whether you like me or whether you approve of me. God likes me and that's all that matters, see? And that's what you can say. And that's who you are in Christ. Let's give the Lord a hand because that's good news. Because of the gospel, I don't have to hide my future anymore. I don't have to worry about, boy, I better not tell so-and-so because they may kind of rain. No, I resign as general manager of the universe. I welcome godly counsel. I welcome uh, God's word because my life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. I can submit my plans to him. I love Proverbs 16, 3. It says, roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will and so shall your plans be established and succeed. I can expose my plans to the light of the world. I can expose them to godly counsel. I can trust that God will not give me a rock when I ask him for bread. So into the message, into the series, here's what I'm doing. If you ever played hide and go seek with God, I'm declaring, ollie ollie oxen free. <laughs> Do you remember that? You know what that means? Game over, you're hiding, come out, you don't lose. That's what the gospel does and have you know, that's good news. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that you care for us. God, I thank you that Jesus died for me. 
for my sin, for my past, for my present, for my future. God, I thank you that we can walk in transparency, in newness of life. I thank you that the truth does make us free and set us free. And so today, I ask that you would work that miracle. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.